At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today well well mr larue it seems like whenever we're like ah we're gonna do some season outlooks and just go ahead and go on vacation to europe for a month it's always always something in uh as mark stein would say hashtag this league donovan mitchell is a eveland cavalier yeah and the sequencing here was i don't know if you were going as crazy as i was i i was on i was you know on twitter and the first thing i see is the woj tweet that the Cavs have acquired Mitchell's like, and I did three separate checks to make sure it was the actual Woj account, not some sort of retweeted, <laughs> you know, fake thing into my, cause I was on my phone, not on, not on your newsbreakers list. And, and it's like, and so then you got to play the game of which almost never happens on a surprising trade of, Oh, what the hell is this? Like what is going back from Cleveland? I was, I spent this like hot second thinking like, Oh God, it's not going to be Mobley or Garland. Is it? And the answer was of course, no. And the final, terms of the deal the cleveland cavaliers are sending lowry marketing ochai apache who was taken in the lottery this year colin sexton via sign and trade of course talk about that later the Cavs' unprotected picks in 25 27 and 29 plus their unprotected pick swaps in 2026 and 2028 all for one donovan mitchell this cleveland regime certainly was sick of being a bad team in the east we saw that already the moment that they had any daylight i mean actually you could even go back to like things like the acquisition of andre drummond uh rather than 30 million in cap space a couple of years ago and then it was hey we're having a good season we're near the top of the east let's give up a first for karis lavert that pick now actually the pacers are a big winner because the Cavs seem much more likely to make the playoffs now and, and that pick is lottery protected and once it became clear what they had with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen emerging into an all-star last season the Cavs were done fucking around they were going not going to let this group grow they were going to go for it right now with admittedly a group that is now still I think all 26 or younger and they acquired Donovan Mitchell and this was their shot they put basically all of the ammo that they have into it that's what Danny Ainge was going to require they traded every first round pick that they could they traded all but one swap that they could so did we know what year the swaps are yet we do the swaps are in 2026 and in 2028 I assume and that then the, 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 unpro- the unprotected yeah. firsts are in 25, 27, and 29. And we kind of knew that was going to be the case because of the existing obligation.
obligation that Cleveland has to Indiana. Right, right. And I assume theoretically it could have been a 24 and 26 swap or something, but I assume that Ainge would have held out right. for, for that. And this package was what was required to beat the package that New York had. New York could have beaten this package easily. They had seven first round picks available to trade. They had more interesting young players, I would say, than the Cavaliers as well. We'll talk about the New York angle of this in a second. So the first question that you ask when a team goes all in like this isn't even necessarily what was the price but what is this team now that they have acquired Donovan Mitchell they're definitely intriguing and we logically thought that the the most pressing need for the Cavaliers was a somebody who could defend ideally on the ball because you don't want Garland doing that with his responsibilities and somebody who could hit open shots who can space the floor and Donovan Mitchell does not do those things in fact he does other things and but being on a team that has this strong defensive foundation with Mobley and Allen. And remember, they also have Robin Lopez. So the rim protection on this Cavs team is going to be awesome throughout the year. Not necessarily the most defensively versatile, but very good there. But how good is this team? And I'm going to make an argument that is similar to one that I made when the Timberwolves, the, like the best case scenario for when the Timberwolves acquired Rudy Gobert. Last year, the Cleveland Cavaliers, when Garland, Mobley, and Allen were on the floor together, that was 1,500 cleaning the glass possessions. They had a plus seven net rating despite having a below average offense. And that was, you know, that because of the great defense that they had, they had a 104-6 defensive rating during the during those possessions. And you know, they were they were great in a lot of ways that were mostly sustainable, not entirely, but mostly. An underrated stat for the Utah Jazz last year is that they had a ton of offensive talent. But when Donovan Mitchell was on the floor and Mike Conley was not. So basically he's the he's the lead guy. Like this is the Donovan Mitchell offensive show. They have guys like Clarkson, but I mean it's Donovan Mitchell's the lead offensive player. The Jazz had a 120.9 offensive rating, which is one of the best marks in the entire league. And so the idea that we he he had a good drink he had a good drink to be the straw stirring it but he did do that well so the idea is basically like can, even with the flaws they have in the regular season can you put these two pieces together and actually like be an above average or well above average offense while not losing what made the defense successful yeah and of course the utah jazz the other analog is well donovan mitchell playing shooting guard next to another small guard what does that look like and rudy gobert is better than jared allen and better than Evan Mobley but they had two of them and there was a time when the Utah Jazz were able to be very good defensively even with Donovan Mitchell different personnel in the front court as well but with Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors playing together and certainly uh, I would say Jared Allen is probably a better offensive center to me than Gobert because he can actually make shots with touch around the basket uh Gobert might be a better lob guy maybe a little better screen setter but those guys I think are pretty similar offensive players and then you've got Mobley who has a much more offensive versatility than Favors so you're making the bet here as Cleveland that yeah you know what garland and mitchell these guys in the playoffs oh we're about to find out what this is going to look like in the playoffs you would think this year and so can evan mobley and jared allen behind what is almost certainly going to be a very bad one through three defensively garland and mitchell for sure they're going to be out there and then your other options are jitty osman karis Levert's coro coro i mean like may, maybe he's okay but like he's gonna have to make shots too right uh so if you play him at the three now like how good can you really be offensively unless mobley's three-pointer really develops a, a lot as well and you also would like mobley to be involved more than just standing outside and you know other than a 24 swap this is it like it, cleveland really has nothing else to trade i like i don't think levert has much value at this point i don't think a coro has much value at the, this point not enough certainly that you're going to 
going to get that great guy at the three they're one potential out for getting that guy at the three because i mean this is just a crazy team right with just like two really small guards and then these these two twin towers all of whom are you know at least sub all-star to all-star level players they will have cap space next summer if they want to of about 16 million and if they were able to move on from either rubio or coro that could grow to about 30 million now the the guys who are on the market at the three next offseason i mean there's never really that many i guess you know there's a jeremy grant you could try to overpay for someone like him or harrison barnes not a perfect fit at the three but maybe someone who could give you a body there uh and overpay so maybe that's what the plan is it's ultimately hard for me though danny i I think like this is an experiment i think it's going to be interesting i'm gonna really enjoy watching these guys those that top four is a lot of talent they got basically nothing else on the team at this point other than rubio and okoro uh as long-term pieces at least because i don't think they're a championship contender this and you know kevin love is not putting you over you still feel like they're probably not they're not going to be at the level even in the long term necessarily because of some of these weird structural issues that they're going to have uh as like the best teams that are going to make it to the finals so do would you agree with that i mean like what do you think this team is maybe not even this year but you know they've got three years of donovan mitchell basically and you know probably two years to really prove to him that this is where he wants to be we'll talk more about that too but yeah. over the this year and next year and maybe the year after that what are these guys in in the end is that your do you share my feeling on them of of kind of what they're going to be broadly yes i i think that what there are some real parallels i brought up the timberwolves earlier the idea that can you combine what this succeeded offensive defensively for them last year with what they could be offensively and like there is a possibility that those things work out but i think that those are more of regular season benefits rather than postseason ones i mean how many players does this iteration of the Cavs have that when you when you're on offense that the kid that you're like oh we can't switch that like you know oh we can't put this player on garland garland and mitchell are both very good players it's been a criticism of donovan mitchell in the past he can still get better but can he do that and then also the weakness on the wing you know like how the best of the best often have these dominant wing players whether it's durant or Kawhi leonard or you know i mean i don't think the lakers are going to be in it for lebron and then like Giannis is kind of a different thing in many ways he's more of a big than a wing um and the the Cavs are, I, I would guess, better suited for that, even though their bigs aren't exactly the perfect Giannis-style big at this moment. We'll see what Mobley becomes. So I think of them at this moment as a team that is kind of maybe could be in that top level, kind of weirdly paralleling the Jazz, that could be in that top level as a regular season team if everything goes well and they stay healthy. But I wouldn't see them as a top tier playoff team, A, because they're so deeply unproven in that cauldron. And because just, you know, you and I often have to work these things out conceptually before we get the chance to see them in action, because prediction is a part of our job. My inclination is that we're not going to see them be this like ridiculous playoff offense. And then defensively, they're not that versatile. So maybe that that takes a tone down too. when you, you know, if we're talking about the great game, we're talking about the like the final four teams, conference finals and beyond. I think this team is going to have problems there. Yeah, I think so. But in fairness, all four of these guys, these main guys, Oh, well, probably three of them. I would say Allen, there's a pretty solid ceiling on what he's going to be. I mean, he took a huge step forward last year. I mean, maybe he could be so good that he himself gets into the defense player of the year conversation and that Mobley does also. And Mobley, from an offensive standpoint, 
standpoint like shooting being that hold everything together you know fulcrum for the elbows as a passer posting up mismatches switch switching everything defender another defensive player of the year candidate Darius Garland this is his first year as an all-star he's probably got another step that he can take the like teams are going to need to switch against these guys if you're going to really stop them I would say because both Mitchell and Garland can really shoot the three off the pick and roll they can both get in the lane make decisions attack the basket they're going to have two lob finishers they should be good on the offensive glass I think there's there's and Donovan Mitchell even could take another big step forward as well he has improved pretty much every year he had a rough playoffs last year but he also has had some huge playoff performances and so you think of kind of like the the most likely scenario is that you don't see any of these guys getting in to be a top 10 player in the league but one of them certainly could Uh, like that's that's another way that you get there right if you have a top 10 player and then you got three other two other all-stars and a sub all-star then the fit maybe just doesn't matter that much maybe these guys just improve so much and are so good you know that's kind of the difference here i would say with minnesota is like these next two years for everyone involved except for anthony edwards are going to be the two best years you don't have this huge ceiling where you You have a lot of you have a lot of different like rolls of the dice that that need that you need something to hit and they and they can't like evan mobley has the talent to be a top 10 player in the league and garland i think that's on that's on the high end for him but it's possible and jared allen i don't think does but he can be a valued a valued contributor i mean he he can be an all-star all-star level of big reasonably as well man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us 
Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice, heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car, and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us and so and i agree with you you said something earlier that i think we want to emphasize a lot which is mm -hmm. the timing here and so donovan mitchell has three more years left before the player option that he has going into the he, he 20 also now cannot get a super brother. he also now yeah by virtue of getting by virtue of getting traded he cannot get a super max and so that takes some that takes a an important kind of data point off the table for the caps because like if you offer it and they say no then yeah. you you know and, they don't want to be there. and also you can't you you won't be able to offer as many years as early either in addition that may even be more important in some respects although with the cap going up maybe it's not as important well in yeah. I, I don't know if Donovan Mitchell is going to make an all-NBA team he could like it's a possibility but all-NBA yeah. guards are notoriously hard spots to get and I, I would love to see Mitchell play well enough have the Cavs do well enough for him to get there but we'll have to see but so I think of this from the Cleveland perspective as a two-year test and the reason why it's a two-year test is because in the summer of 2024, Donovan Mitchell will be a potentially, though not definitively, pending unrestricted free agent. He can decline that player option. We just talked about why it's very unlikely that he will sign an extension. Because you can't, as Cleveland, it's I mean, it's it's almost unprecedented in the modern era to let a player, especially a player who has never chosen you in the first place, get all the way to unrestricted free agency. Like the idea that you could lose him for nothing is is so that means you have two years to kind of convince, even if he can't make a commitment in all reasonable likelihood until 25, you kind of have two years to get the temperature there and to convince him that he, that you want to stay and everything else like that. And then if he doesn't make that, if he doesn't make that commitment, if, whether it's you not getting there or him not getting there, however that works, then you probably have to make a move. And yes, you're out a lot of picks and like Utah significantly, like if we're using 2024 as the decision point here at that juncture, the Cavs will have conveyed exactly zero picks 
to the Utah Jazz of these obligations, which is pretty incredible. So like if that's the decision point, then you're going to then then you're going to have a lot to kind of deal with in that space. But, you know, then and, and uh, Donovan Mitchell, you know, if he ends up being that things don't go well and he doesn't want to stay and all that, like you will get value for him in return. And you're also getting at minimum reasonably two years of Donovan Mitchell. But it puts a lot of pressure and when you're using players in this circumstance, you know, it's the same with owners to an extent, how they define success, how they're looking at it is extremely important because Don Mitchell, his third contract, that's going to be when we find out what he values in the league. It could be winning. It could be any number of other things. And if it's not what Cleveland is offering, then they probably have two years to see how this goes. Yeah. Interestingly, that 25, 26 season when he has a player option, he could decline is the year that the new TV deal will kick in. And so even if they don't don't have the ability to do a super max extension, they could do an extension where it's for the max salary. It kicks in if the cap goes up significantly that year, he might feel like, OK, I'm not missing out uh, to do an extension. Yeah. But that's also, also yeah. Jared yeah. Dubin, just quickly, Jared Dubin made the CBA note that as a technical matter, if Donovan Mitchell opts in, then if Dar- Darius Garland is still on the team, too, the Cavs could not offer Evan Mobley a designated rookie extension because you can't have more than two but oh, if Donovan yeah. Mitchell opts out that doesn't matter and I think that's going to be what happens. fair fair so and this was I don't think in a vacuum this is like a crazy price to pay for a guy like Donovan Mitchell a, a all-star level player certainly when you see what Gobert went for you know Gobert arguably went for more I mean it just depends what you think of Cleveland and Utah Cleveland you just mentioned Evan Mobley if he's going to be really good and he's going to be on the team Garland's going to be really good he's going to be on the team for at least a fair amount of this even if Donovan Mitchell were to leave you're probably Jared Jared Allen even goes through 25, 26. You can extend some of these guys in in theory as well. So, and Evan Mobley is going to be here for nearly all of the obligation. You would think maybe at the very end of it, he could be traded. So the the downside there is not that high. The risks of like, okay, we're just going to be totally in the wilderness in the second half of this decade, and then we're going to be even longer in the wilderness because we didn't have our picks. Like, I don't think there's that big of a concern. There right? You're, you, there isn't really, I, unless it's because of injuries. There isn't really a net downside here where it's like oh not only and not only then are you giving up you know like you're in the wilderness but also you have the embarrassment of giving up these really good picks to another team and the hopelessness that those teams can have so yeah i agree with you i agree with you there the in some ways the bigger weakness for the Cavs is just that they have no more they have no more arrows in the quiver in terms of improvement other than that possibility of 2023 cap space and also remember that signing a player to a significant multi-year contract with that space could end up getting daunting if everyone stays and that player because, you know, uh, at some point, actually, we know the exact point, Evan Mobley is going to get a big raise. So, like, there could be something, but the cap's going up a lot and all that. So it might, yeah. that and, might and actually. Gilbert's been willing to pay. But it, yes, if the team is good. Yes. Um, if the team is good. I think we can probably expect that he'll at least be willing to go somewhat in the luxury tax over the next couple of years. Uh, and, and, you know, my big question about this is, like, does Donovan Mitchell want to be there I mean he had a a positive tweet in response to Darius Garland's tweet I'm pretty sure he'd probably rather be there than Utah I think if you're trying to win I would rather be in Cleveland than New York he seems like he kind of wanted to be in New York New York had another move to make after him and again we'll we'll talk about how that would have affected the dynamic to get into championship contention and I think I think Cleveland's gonna be a pretty good team whether they'll be better than the Jazz team that he just left at any point I guess we'll find out but they're gonna have a lot of talent but Donovan Mitchell could potentially sour as well. There is kind of, this was not, Cleveland is not at the top of most players' destinations. I don't know what's 
in Mitchell's head at this point. I don't know whether they've had the conversation with him that says like, yes, I'm really excited about coming. Like I would possibly consider resigning if things go well. You would hope that they had that, but maybe if they didn't, there is a backstop here. Number one, just that they'll still have all these other guys. So giving up the picks is not the end of the world. It's still worthwhile to win a bunch of games over two, three years, even if you don't make the finals. Like well, that's something that that's, well, that's worth there, something. And more than uh, that. Well, let me just finish with one sorry, more point sorry, here. Go ahead. Um, and then they could always retrade Mitchell potentially too, if he really wanted out with a year left. And you wouldn't well, get this package, but you mm-hmm. would get you would recoup something. Well, and and this can work as the transition because our our friend Fred Katz wrote a number of great things about the Knicks this off season. He did some great work at the Athletic. But one of my favorite concepts that he talked about, and he also did this on Real GM Radio, was the idea that the Knicks needed to be reluctant in a Donovan Mitchell trade because they could theoretically they need to save enough to acquire a star in 2024 when they could do that. And what I thought of about 10 minutes after this trade was announced is that framing might still be there. And the player the Knicks might acquire in 2024 might be Donovan Mitchell. Like that they, <laughs> yeah. they give up a package and probably not this level of package, but like they give up something significant and that instead of being the kind of the first superstar, he's the second superstar. I don't know how in the hell they're going to get the first one. And, or, or maybe he's the first superstar and then they get right. the second after him or something after that. Like that. But, 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 but yeah, but from the Cavs perspective, this ties in with something you and I got into on Spotify Live. Somebody asked us about like, oh, this is a lot to give up for Donovan Mitchell. You could go after X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, there aren't really that many players this good. And you and I aren't the biggest Donovan Mitchell partisans out there. There aren't that many players this good, this young, that are on the, that are really tr- of acquirable by trade anymore. And even fewer of them that are acquirable without a blue chip asset. Like this is not, I, for example, if you offered this exact package to the Boston Celtics for Jalen Brown, Brad Stevens will laugh and hang up the phone. Like that's just the way that's going to work out. You think so? Yeah, well, think well so. just because they're trying to contend, right? I mean, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this, this this is a unique opportunity, especially when you consider his youth, still having three years left on the contract as well. I mean, this is, we talked about this with Gobert of like, hey, when is, would, now, what if Minnesota could have just acquired Donovan Mitchell <laughs> instead of Rudy Gobert for that? It's pretty similar package. Maybe, maybe Utah wouldn't have accepted that. Uh, that, that would have been funny, but Gobert obviously had to be the domino that went first. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, what's your ultimate feeling here? If you're, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers and this is what it took to take Donovan Mitchell, would you have done this deal or not i think so i i didn't i wasn't there when i first heard the terms but the part that has shifted it for me is the idea that if it doesn't work out in the next two years you can get a lot of this back and the value of being in the mix for the next couple of years is pretty high for the caps and they'll get hopefully some valued playoff experience and you get two years at bare minimum and then you probably get a couple of first back and i'm i i didn't love ochaya baji when i saw him it's not really good I'm, I'm not necessarily you know he could He'll, he has a lot of a long career, hopefully, to to define his own arc. And but from their perspective, like they weren't going to get a better player than this. And he is an imperfect fit. And, you know, you could argue any number of different like a three and D like, oh, maybe an OG and or something like that. But how many of those players are actually available right now? Not that many. And Cleveland isn't a perfect team, but I think there's a chance their offense is going to be nasty. And we know their defense has a strong foundation. So I I think this is reasonable from their perspective. And I like the fit of Mitchell with Allen and Mobley. I don't necessarily like the Garland Mitchell part of it. We're going to have to figure out, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. I just, I, I wish God, if they just had like anyone with a pulse at the three in the pipeline right now, I would feel so much, but I just don't know how they're going to get that player. Like they just like, unless they just get lucky in the second round or like maybe find someone in free agency, 
see but even then they're going to be extremely thin for depth uh, even if you're going to say mitchell would resign you just like like you just it's so hard to really win at the highest levels but it's like this team is going to be as long as those four guys are there these guys are going to be a playoff team and probably in the mix for home court advantage even though as as we rank them in the east right now i'm not sure where they would be even in the regular season or the playoffs uh and i think i might even still as of right now like one of these teams will probably fall off you know maybe i would have them above miami in the regular season but i actually might still have them below these other teams like they're gonna push hard in the regular season like that's gonna help they're less injury risk because they've got younger guys and they're not as concerned about saving everything for the playoffs the way some of these other teams will be so maybe they'll be higher than that in the regular season but they were a top five defense last year hopefully they can be around there this year like they might just the guards and and the lack of a three might be too difficult they, they lost marking in and, and so like kevin love's gonna have to play a lot now like marking is better defensively than kevin love at least so yeah i mean you just wonder of like how much are those two guys gonna be able to do because they basically just are the entire defense now maybe rubio coming back will help them i don't know i i'm i this is i have even less of a feel for what these guys are going to be than the timberwolves like there could be an alchemy here that's really really good in the regular season and also we just don't know how much any these four guys are going to improve uh, as well from where we last saw them i think i ultimately would do it though because i there's not that much downside i guess and, and actually even after you traded that other pick for levert which seems like such folly now to have traded that pick like if they just had their 2023 first round pick still it, that they could have used to go get someone who's a better fit with these guys that would have been really nice yeah i i mean i think just when you have the chance to get a player like this in that market you do it and they're just they're going to be good for a long time now you just wonder if like hey let's say they never made the trade for levert and then they never made this trade where would they have been who could they have traded for but then you're also like okay we're going to give up two unprotected first round picks to get just like some solid starter at the three wouldn't you rather do it for mitchell instead so i think probably yes i would have done it it it, and you know you could always just move mitchell or garland again and kind of be like just for players as well and get back you know hopefully get someone with some more size yeah this is this is a a, i can't remember being this torn on a trade in a long time but are you more or less yeah yeah i was gonna say are you more or less torn on the knicks not making the trade than you are on the Cavs making it uh i think so essentially the reporting was like that they had planned to pursue mitchell is from woge but remember there's the whole thing about the rj barrett extension which i talked about extensively with hollinger yesterday if you guys want to hear my thoughts on that we assumed that everyone assumed that mitchell was just going to be a nick but i think the knicks to their credit didn't get desperate for once right like james dolan has done that in the past i think uh leon rose and brock aller is a, a really good negotiator they wouldn't go above two unprotected first round picks and there are other things too they didn't want to throw in grinds with barrett in another iteration of the trade potentially and they didn't want those unprotected first round picks the rest of the picks they have are protected so that was those are the gold standard of things that people want they want those big huge possibilities way out in time and not all of them are going to hit but you want to at least give yourself that possibility of a top five pick if things just go horribly horribly wrong or they only go slightly wrong and then the team jumps into the top five in the lottery which is more of a possibility now and as you noted hey there's a chance they could just get donovan mitchell two years from now and like this team isn't ready to be good if they got donovan mitchell in the next two years like whereas cleveland cleveland having gotten mitchell now is going to be way better than new york would have been this year so it actually it makes more sense for cleveland to get mitchell and win now because they actually can win now to at least some degree and we don't yeah, know in, what in degree a, that in is. a weird in a weird way it kind of reminds me of the shock that happened during the 2022 top three picks where it was like oh this isn't the way we thought it was going to go and then the way things broke down you're like oh that actually kind of makes more sense like that yeah. is for me for me well, that's how well, this well goes. new york we just figured new york can outbid them 
but in the end they actually couldn't i think maybe with cleveland or they didn't yeah, yeah yeah right right sorry they, they didn't and i think the reason cleveland was dismissed was there was a thought like all right donovan mitchell doesn't necessarily want to be there so are they really going to go all in on on this but with three years left on the contract you're able to do that um and take this risk and i, I think it's a reasonable one for them right and, and part of the reason this is different for the knicks than for the Cavs is even though the Cavs are a very young team, like they're at a higher level right now than the Knicks are. And so you add Donovan Mitchell in and, and you add Donovan Mitchell to this Knicks team and they're, I would expect them to make the playoffs, but they're not going to be, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't expect to be picking them in a first round series next year. And so giving up all that, you know, the idea is always that the last piece should be the most expensive, not the first of the big pieces. And and so with, with Mitchell, if you add these other things, then how are you going to get that other player? And then there's also like, but there is some weirdness with the Knicks, which is the the perfect being the enemy of the good, where I know they like Quentin Grimes. I like Quentin Grimes a lot too, but it seems like that was a sticking point. Steve Berman have had that, and then Woj can Woj had it as well in his breakdown uh, piece. Mark Berman. Mark Berman, sorry. B-O-T-P. Steve Berman is a different person. Yes, Berman Berman the past. And so um, the but so the idea for me is like I, I like Quentin Grimes. I can get you saying you prioritize him, and for also noting that the Knicks being willing to include R.J. Barrett and having a harder line on Quentin Grimes is notable is the idea of, okay, you think Quentin Grimes is good. What is your vision for why Quentin Grimes is untouchable if you just signed Jalen Brunson to this big contract and you're getting John Mitchell? Like, is your intention just that he's so good that you can eventually trade him for more, that he can fit in, that you can do all this stuff? Like, it was something that I felt weird to me. At first, I'm like, oh, from a value perspective, if you think he's really good, you can do that. But it's also like, well, where the hell are they going? Like, what is, what is the what is the intention here? And, like, Barrett, you could argue that, like, fit doesn't matter for a team that isn't all the way there but like the Knicks aren't really going to have much cap space over the next couple of years if they gotten Mitchell and everything else it's like I I you know I, I don't know what their plan B is but I also don't know what their kind of plan A is either yeah it just if they had given up too much for Donovan Mitchell they would have just been stuck where you always don't want them to be of just like I don't know even if they that they would have had an obvious path forward to being like a clear team getting out of the play even you know being a clear top six team in the east and you know, maybe it could have made more sense to acquire Mitchell if you hadn't just got Jalen Brunson. I think that probably actually would have been the case because they would have just had more payroll flexibility going forward potentially. And then your, your team kind of just makes more sense with Mitchell, Grimes, and Barrett as your one, two, three. And then you got a, a nice center and, and, you know, maybe you can get an upgrade on Randall at power forward or whatever like that. That might have made it, it would have made a little more sense to me to go in on Mitchell if you didn't already have Brunson and you're consigning yourself again to this small backcourt issue when you don't have Evan Mobley and and Jared Allen like for Cleveland they've got three guys who are better than the Knicks best player yeah it makes a little more sense to go in uh, at this well, and, and not only are there three guys that are better than the Knicks best player they're all young and could get a lot better than they are right now now I guess the only thing you could say opposite of that is when is this opportunity going to come along again a guy as good right. as Donovan Mitchell with three years left on his country but if you're the New York Knicks hopefully you have enough of a foundation and that's what they're going to really going to have to build over these next couple of years with Tom Thibodeau and having signed Jalen Brunson of being good enough to where a star would want to go there but someone who's more a traditional star is getting moved in the last one or two years of their contract and then they would have of course the pieces to trade for still I mean the next guy who comes on the market they'll have in theory the best package unless it really involves giving up a premium young player which it seems like teams just aren't doing today. let's turn now to Utah on this uh, as we got about 20 minutes since like you know negative 5 a.m. where you are right now in Europe I think that they 
they made the right move by pulling the trigger here i would say they got the three unprotected picks they got abaji who i think is has some value sucks in we'll talk about him in a second Markinen is long salary not amazing but he's he's overpaid by three four million bucks a year as the cap goes up it won't be the end of the world like he's not such horrible salary that well, taking and, him back and, is a little and general managers think of Markinen more highly than we do so like, i think there's a distinct chance that yeah. other teams don't see Markinen as a negative salary yeah so and then they bring in colin sexton on a four-year 72 million dollar deal all guaranteed we'll see what the incentive structure of that is he was useful in terms of the matching salary i think cleveland appreciated having him as the matching salary in this deal with Markinen. you know it would have had to have been probably kevin love outside of that and since they're getting mitchell i mean yet another shooting guard in sexton wouldn't have made a ton of sense and wouldn't have fit into their salary structure they would have been deep into the tax so this was the only way to do this deal stay out of the tax for them they think they had about 13 million or so below the tax before this deal and almost all of that's up they're like two million below now and sexton i think this is a worthy gamble for the jazz acquiring him cleveland probably doesn't do the deal without him being in it or at least not in this exact permutation so you can view taking him on on this contract as part of the price you have to pay this is maybe slightly more 18 million a year than you'd like for sexton but he's also a young piece who can at least give your fans something to watch and you know maybe he won't make you win too much and if he does then he might be tradable potentially as well uh if you're worried about your own pick and th- their own pick isn't in danger this year they're gonna suck so they can get rid of all these other guys now but i i'm really happy i would say but first before you even talk about it from utah's perspective of that this worked out for colin Sexton. we've lamented for so long really what an unfair situation he was stuck in where cleveland he, taking the qualifying offer would have been his best move he would have had to give up guaranteed money they were gonna pay him like a backup they're gonna slide him in a backup role he had shown a lot i thought he'd shown enough to earn a chance to at least be a starter in this league and he wasn't going to get paid like a starter or get starter minutes in cleveland there's just no path forward for that so i'm glad that he's going to get that in utah now and and, you know he is a really hard worker he has really improved his game it just sucked that the injury messed things up for him so badly anything else to add here from utah i mean they add to this crazy cache of first round picks now uh, I, have a, I have a couple yeah. i have a couple things um please, so first please, off yeah. Yeah, thrilled 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 for colin sexton not only the getting the money 72 million over four years but also the opportunity that he's gonna get a he's gonna get a lot of playing time for the utah jazz and if he ends up being somewhere else and also sexton even even if a lot of the positives that happened in 2020 slash 21 are real for him sexton is kind of he's he's exactly the right type of guy who can make your team fun but not necessarily push you to like a really high win total like that's a it, it can be a useful thing you know like they're still gonna have to figure out their defensive identity with like i don't know walker kessler at center like this team is going to be bad and colin sexton even if he has a very good year he might not prevent them from being bad because that has happened before and so you have that component of it the, to me the most interesting thing and I, I posted this on twitter shortly after the trade happened is i understand the value of the number of first round picks and that you you know three unprotecteds and of course you get these two swaps that was reported from Woj that the Knicks offered two swaps as well is I personally think more I think I value the quality of of the unprotected pick some ways more than other people than the quantity so the idea that I posed was basically the Cavs we brought up how young their core is and how long they're under team control and these picks are pretty far out but the expectation is that barring injury they should be some level of relevant over the next stretch of time, which is also an amazing statement to make about the Cleveland Cavaliers in the post-LeBron era. I don't have that same optimism about the New Yorks. And so the idea basically being, do you take 
two better two bets that you think are more likely to cash big than three bets that are a little bit lower upside if you assume that the swaps are wash and i actually think the swaps are advantage nick's offer rather than advantage Cavs offer mm-hmm. and so i i think that and there was you know woge's piece had a lot in this and they're like oh is ma- maximizing the number of first round picks it's like i at least think it's a conversation and i think i you know in my heart of hearts if you put everything else even i would rather have two unprotected nick's picks in the future than than 25 27 and 29 from the Cavs. well and then you also run into the fact that by getting a third unprotected pick from the knicks you fix it so then they're less likely to be able to get another star to pair with mitchell and more likely that things go wrong and then if you only get two unprotected picks from them they still have two more to put into a deal plus you know we, we don't know exactly how many of these other picks were going to be in that deal as well and so from utah's perspective it's the, the exact opposite as the knicks it's like no we got to deplete you of all these assets a so we can get them and b so that those assets are better <laughs> because so you don't have other assets to improve and make our assets worse um no i, I think there's an argument for that though uh with the knicks and you know they have been a good drafting team now like they have some young players like it but yeah i think the knicks are more likely to be a lottery team after they traded for mitchell and we don't know also what years knicks picks we were talking what if the knicks only were offering oh yeah we'll give you our unprotected 23 pick okay that you're not gonna suck that bad this year we know that most likely so that doesn't do as much right if they're offering 27 and 29 or whatever years you wanted like okay is that, is that different so that's that's another okay just what un, two unprotected picks fine but if it's 23 and 25 then it's a, of much less utility to probably uh, if you're the jazz so i think this is a good bird in the hand trade i think they in a vacuum you would agree that like this is enough to trade him rather than holding on to let's say the knicks were absolutely out there and they just offer you this like you're fine with this right absolutely and one difference of this deal and the wolves part of why i loved that gobert deal for the jazz is that they didn't take on not only did they not take on negative salary i thought they took on positive we'll see how sexton and marketing's contracts age i'm a little bit less bullish on on that really working at, on, on those being as good and the jazz losing the flexibility i don't particularly care they weren't going to be no, they, they still have 45 million in exactly next like that that part of it more it's just can you the, they will likely we're gonna have to they see. will likely use take that on with bad salary when they because now the conley and bogdanovich and beasley and clarkson sweepstakes right. so so like well. there's there's a little bit of a decrease there and that you know like uh, the that was something i like but you don't need to compare these two deals they're not the same and they got a they got a ton for gobert and that's great and they got a lot for donovan mitchell and that's great too and oh, oh what, what, one more thing here sorry i don't think it was ever reported how many swaps were included in that nicks offer and, i think woge's piece said it was two okay. yes and, it and did when, uh yeah it was okay. two second round picks, two swaps, and two expiring contracts. Yeah, so that's when you're getting. So you're basically talking about four unprotected versus five, because when, when at the highest levels, obviously the swap has. But I think these swaps are probably too undervalued these days. It's like because they don't affect what you can trade that much in theory. Uh, but oh yeah, just throw it in swap. But that's uh, and there's also the timing of those swaps as well. I'm guessing that the Knicks probably, if they were smart, would have offered everything nearer because then it let's say two years from now you're adding the second piece to mitchell you want to open up more picks in the future so you can trade all of them you don't have like these picks already out there blocking it you have like this block of picks that you can trade in the future because it seems like the future picks are the ones that are more valuable now i think teams have kind of wised up uh, on that aspect um but yeah i think the jazz did just fine here maybe there's an argument the Knicks package was better but it doesn't seem like they're willing to include grinds we don't know what the barrett permutation would have been i don't think they should be interested in barrett and and one other one other quick thing 
saying that this tra- why you make the Mitchell trade now is you significantly improve the quality of your own draft pick. And yeah, like even yeah, if there's think, even if yeah. there's not like a 100 percent chance you're going to get one Benyama Scoot or whatever player in 23 is a monster, but you have a better chance now than you did before. Yeah, and some might have been like, well, what if the Knicks start eight and nine or something, or eight and ten? Then there's more pressure; they'll give it up. Like I, I don't think that would have would have changed things for the Knicks. Honestly, I think I believe a little bit that it's a new day in New York to some degree. And I think even if you are disappointed as a Knicks fan that you didn't get Mitchell, even if you feel like the Knicks should have given given up more to get him you at least have to feel good that there's a little bit better of a process in place here that it's not james dolan putting his thumb on the scales in every negotiation that he actually really we have not heard anything about dolan's meddling since rose took over and i think at least you have to feel good about that as a new york fan even if you don't agree with exactly how this turned we done here i think so can't wait to see this Cavs team on the floor this this year is going to be uh, this the Cavs. I mean, at, the, at some point at some point we'll, we'll have to do we'll have to do a pod of like the teams that were most excited to watch in the first month of the season and we just added a new team into the top three yeah i mean i was pretty interested to see cleveland at full strength anyway this year even before this to see whether what they showed a year ago when they were all healthy was real so yeah i can't wait to see these guys on the floor and after the break let's get to Derek bodner of the daily six and the sixers beat podcast to talk about the upcoming sixers season Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, joining us now is Derek Bodner of the Sixers Beat podcast and the Daily Six newsletter to discuss what looks to be the most boring Philadelphia 76ers season in quite some time. Yeah, no, it really is. This was a a, a franchise that is known 
for their crazy off seasons from burner account scandals to, you know, GM by committees to everything you can possibly think of multiple point guards forgetting how to shoot. This feels pretty normal. It feels like a normal, they made normal basketball moves. Now there is a little thing of a league investigation into tampering and cap circumvention. So they can't be completely normal, but since we won't know the results of that for months, if not longer, we will just push that to the side. This has been a normal off season, um, which might be good or bad for business, but it was probably good for my own mental health. So I appreciate yeah. that. Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Just simply what has been the most normal, Sixers offseason like since you've been covering the team other than this one maybe maybe <laughs> the, the summer that Jimmy Butler left in a sign and trade might be like the most normal one you mean the one when they invested like 90 some million dollars in a backup center who couldn't play alongside of Embiid good player but couldn't play alongside of Embiid it's, it's really uh, too yeah. bad that he forgot how to shoot three-pointers when Embiid yeah so, he just, just like, he wasn't comfortable yeah. standing in the corner he really wanted to be top of key where he could um, you know, multiple yeah, like, but anyway, like, but it, I mean, it must be a little weird for Sixers fans to see Al Horford like getting that last year of the deal guaranteed, you know, yeah. dropping like f- four or four threes in the fourth quarter against the Bucks, playing next to another center and Robert Williams. Like, you know, that's all. Uh, it's if he could have just played like that with the Sixers, maybe things would have been a little bit different, but well, especially since they had to give up a first round pick to get off of that contract. And if you haven't noticed, they first of all, they don't have very many first round picks left to trade which is going to be big when they don't have much flexibility and oh by the way they could lose a couple more with that investigation we talked about so who knows but yeah i'm sure it's frustrating you know i think most people probably recognize that you know that al horford thing was a bad fit and also he didn't really want to be there i don't think most people thought he was completely done as a player so it probably doesn't stink too much but yeah, yeah that whole series of events which was maybe the most normal offseason the sixers have had um i guess the second most normal offseason would be when they you know hired a new gm and a new coach which isn't normal for most franchises but at least that was yeah. normal basketball related decisions anyway we're we're yeah. I feel a little bit off track That's, here. I mean, it's always it's always interesting to go back to the history. So, uh, where I'd like to start here is we don't need to talk about the whole season. Obviously, you know, the only part that really matters is after they got James Harden. But I think a, a good context to talk about some of these new additions and how they fit in is discussing where they failed in that series against Miami a year ago and and why they lost. So, you know, just briefly, like, what were some of the main weaknesses that <laughs> felled them in that series? You know, I think. That- there's a bunch like I think Joel Embiid because of the um, torn thumb and because of the concussion of broken face second time Joel Embiid has broken normal bone leading up to the playoffs which again weird franchise uh, but because of that he was nowhere near 100% uh, and whenever the Sixers aren't don't have a Joel Embiid who's near 100% you just you're not going to be the same team right then you had James Harden who really struggled there against the heat and then you had just perimeter depth and 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 really you know depth on the wings that just wasn't good enough and i think that was exploited very heavily as well they did not have a single real two-way wing on their team uh, and that is tough especially once danny green went down um in that series and that's just a tough way to build a team in today's nba so i think those were the three big weaknesses one of them you kind of expect would improve itself joel Embiid, you hope doesn't have a broken eye socket again next year who knows we'll see uh, but you that yeah. would fix itself with time james harden maybe would fix himself with time we'll see about that uh, and then you the the depth part which i think is what daryl morey really focused on and went out and got some players who could hold up a little better in that series but i think those were the main three um factors in that series and i do still think all of those weaknesses aside if joel Embiid was playing like he was against the raptors they might have had a chance 
Um, but he was nowhere near the same player. Yeah, no, definitely. And obviously, it was disappointing, you know, that, that he was out there to get his face broken with a, a that that lead, and you know, also the the thumb thing. I think became an issue by the end, and also yeah. amazing Miami Heat defense. I mean, you know, Bam Adebayo by both Harden and Embiid, I thought were really kind of. I don't want to say they gave up, but I think they knew that like they weren't going to be able to get it done by the second half of Game Six, where like you know, Joel just wasn't even getting the ball in his spots like bam was just leaning on him all over the place and i think ultimately you know because it's not you mentioned the lack of depth like they had a bunch of bad players out there but also guys who just mess up the way that you want to play basketball like this and and going back to ben simmons they haven't had just a normal team right i mean i mean there are guys that you didn't have to guard so i mean no i was just gonna say like going back to ben simmons like that was a very key part of why they never had a normal team right uh, because you had to really play around his his weaknesses now they have a chance to have a more normal team. They have a chance to have maybe an identity when Joel Embiid is off the floor uh, and with and maybe a chance to put some players around who could complement James Harden. None of that up to that point has really happened. So yeah, it will be interesting to see whether or not Daryl's moves this year play out uh, for sure. All right, so what they do in this offseason and how are those guys going to fit into this group under Doc? Yeah, I mean, you know, they started off with, I thought, a, a really good draft day trade uh, getting D'Anthony Melton. Uh, so I think he will help there. And then the off-discussed, including by the league, free agency acquisitions of um, PJ Tucker uh, and Daniel House and also Trevor and Queen to a lower scale. So, I, you know, I think when you look at them and it's just real nice to have three players there who at least I mean, pretty consistently can make an open shot and defend their position and sometimes defend a couple of positions. So I think they're all solid acquisitions. We can debate whether or not the years for PJ Tucker, which clearly there's some concern there. He'll be 40 at the end of it. Um, and whether or not the amount they gave to Daniel House, who was, again, a guy who was on two minimum contracts last year or minimum contracts for two teams might have been anyway. Um, you know, clearly they pay a lot for that, uh, but they, because James Harden did opt out uh, and did sign that quote unquote two year deal, they will make those moves at three players who will be in their, their rotation um, and three players who will be pretty high in their rotation, considering the depth they had last year and the question marks they had with, you know, again, on the perimeter of Matisse Thibel and you know, Shake Milton and George Yang playing 25 minutes per night in the playoffs. Furkan Korkmaz still playing, even though he was a shooter who wasn't making shots last year. So I think adding those players might not sound like, you know, difference makers. But when you're talking about who they're replacing, I think they'll be pretty significant. Yeah. And I think one thing that's just so underrated still in today's NBA is just, it's not necessarily, oh, this guy's like so unbelievably talented. Like even Daniel House, right? You, you don't look at him as, like, oh, this guy's a, a difference maker. And, you know, DMT Mel no, was a backup last year yep. for, for Memphis. And, you know, PJ Tucker, you know, he's he's a role player, right? You don't think that that guy's going to change things. But and I think this is something that's always been lost in Milwaukee, despite the fact that they won a championship in part because of pj tucker and has been such an issue for philly as well it's not even necessarily that these guys are like so talented individually on their own it's how do they enable you to play you know like can you now because you have these guys who just at least can hold up on both ends and not just be a total liability now you you can just do things much differently both offensively and defensively than you could have before and so i, I think ultimately the way i've kind of characterized this offseason 
then, yeah, you know, like Tucker, this 37, like, all right, he could just suck this year. Like, that just happens sometimes to guys at, at this level in house. You know, maybe now that he quote unquote got paid a little bit, like, he won't have the same defensive effort that he had in Utah where he actually really impressed me. Um, or, you know, he, some of his personal issues, uh, could, could become an issue again. You know, the, there's always these, and Dante Melton, maybe he forgets how to shoot. Like, you know, these aren't perfect players, but I think A, they did the, they got the best possible guys that they could. Like, there's right. nobody else who changed teams that would have been better than these guys. And B, I think if these guys can contribute at the level that they have been last year, now you've put it on James Harden and Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey to where, like, they don't have an excuse anymore, which is good. That's what you want to do, right? You want to put the best ta- uh, group around your stars that you can. And if they are good enough now, like, this team can be a championship contender. That's kind of how I characterize it. Yeah. No, and I mean, Daniel House is a good example because, you know, he might not individually be all that talented that you would say is a difference maker. But like you look back on his career and with Harden in Houston, he's shooting, you know, high 30s, low 40s from three. Harden leaves. He's shooting mid to low 30s from three. He goes to Utah, another system where he can thrive in. He's shooting low 40s again from three. And you put them in the right situation, being able to make that shot, um, defend their position becomes insanely valuable. You take them out of that situation, out of a contending team, and all of a sudden he tries to do a little too much off the dribble. It's not really his game. He can get into some of his bad habits and he can look pretty bad at the point where he's playing on minimum contracts. So yeah, I think, you know, he will be a a piece of the puzzle. And I think the way you phrase it is sort of the way I have been phrasing it too, where they now have, if James Harden can take a step back, maybe not to where he was two years ago when he was borderline in the MVP running, um, but somewhere in between, you know, two and three years ago to last year, if Tyrese Maxey has another step in him, if Joel Embiid even has another step in him now, he's playing with a pick and roll ball handler for really the first time in his career. If any of those or a combination of those three things happen, they now have the depth and the two A players that they can capitalize on it. You know, Daniel House alone isn't going to change you. PJ Tucker alone isn't going to put you into a championship contender. But if there is another jump with your main three pieces, they now have the the role players that they can capitalize on it. Um, I think yeah. that's probably the right way to look at and it. And just simply being able to put Matisse Thibel and George Niang into the roles and, and Shake Milton into those roles of like, all right, regular season rotation guys who, if you get up against a certain opponent, you can kind of cut them out of the rotation as the series goes on, as opposed to like, shit, we got to play George Niang 30 minutes because we just literally have no one else who can make a shot. You know, or and Matisse Thibel, yeah, we'd love to play him on defense, but he's just not getting guarded at all. And it's just totally messing up everything that we're trying to do because they're just they're taking advantage of those guys weaknesses on both ends where now it's like all right Thibel, hey maybe somebody gets hot you can put him in the game for five minutes or something to cool the guy off or you know you get down and you're gonna press a little bit you throw him in like it, he's gonna be more of a bit player now and these other guys who are not gonna just not get guarded or get attacked uh, are part of it so I, I guess i think we have a pretty decent understanding of what we expect from those guys let's talk about the three stars i think where i want to start actually is Tyrese Maxey because I think in some ways actually I would say he maybe even had an under the radar season last year so what do you expect like can he are is there any concern of a regression at all from him this year he is young or what are some realistic sets for him to take forward yeah I mean there's always concern in my mind for a regression especially when you know a player is so young and made such a leap and a big part of that leap was on shooting there's always and i believe in tyrese maxi's long-term future as a shooter you know i think he showed enough shooting off the dribble shooting from deep um growing into a little bit shooting off of the catch although he's still a little more hesitant there than you would like but i think he showed enough and had enough consistency where i believe in him as a shooter but you know <clears throat> things happen in one year you could have an off-year shooting and when you're now in a role where you're playing a lot more off the ball like he is 
alongside of James Harden, any kind of a regression, whether it's that doesn't necessarily mean last year was a fluke, but just you know, regression could happen. Any kind of regression, maybe that fit becomes a little more tricky. Maybe not only because he's playing off ball and not able to do quite as much as he would in other lineups, but also because there's just a defensive concern having him alongside Harden. Maybe you're not able to overcome that defensive concern a little bit. So I have a little bit of concern that there could be a regression, not because I don't necessarily believe that last year was you know legitimate, but just because if something fluky happens, then how do you compensate? So I have a little bit of concern with that. But I also think it's just as likely that he could take another significant step. It's not going to be in shooting. He's not going to be shooting in a low, you know, low to mid 40s every year from three, but just becoming a little bit better navigating in the paint, a little better maybe at drawing contact around the rim, a little bit better of a passer and, you know, anticipating some of those those passes and cuts um, and just a little bit better playing off of James Harden and getting a little bit more time to figure out that pairing. So I think there's a lot of optimism and reasons to be optimistic for Maxi, but also a little bit of acknowledgement acknowledgement that is if something does happen fluky with the shooting or he has a down year, which happens from time to time, then how do you compensate because some of that, you know, maybe because the fit isn't a hundred percent natural because the defensive concerns are there. But I think there are very few players on this team, maybe none, that I have as much confidence in putting in the work and figuring it out as Tyrese Maxey. I do think he will figure out ways to be effective playing alongside of Harden to use the space Harden creates or the attention that he receives to open up driving lanes to the rim. I think he's going to be very good this year. Again, does that mean he's going to shoot 40% from three? Maybe not, but I have a, I have a lot of confidence. Acknowledgement that the regression is a little scary because there's some defensive concerns, but confidence that they will figure it out. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I mean, 42.7% three on just over three attempts. I mean, that's that's a crazy number, and one, especially when you consider, you know, I think he was, what, 29% from three in college, I want to say, and that was only his second year last year as yeah. well. And, and he really, he saved this team early on, right? I mean, they, they were... 100%. They might not have won enough games, to pursue James Harden if he doesn't completely um, explode like the way he did. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's a, a perfect way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, they they could have been around 500 without Ben Simmons, who was still a very important regular season player for them. I mean, my, my theory was that they were not going to miss him as much as I think a lot of people thought, and I, that turned out to be right, but I also wasn't expecting Tyrese Maxey to do what he did either. And I, I am, I, I'm kind of a two minds about Maxey, man. On the one hand, I think he really is one of these guys where you watch him play and he's like just kind of scratching surf, right? Where, yeah. like, I actually don't think that his skill level is that that high right now i mean the the shooting you know maybe maybe obviously uh you, you don't want to say he's unskilled shooting 43 percent from three but like he doesn't he's not really like a great pick and roll operator yet i don't think he really yeah. has very m- many moves in isolation either like he's very dependent on that hard straight line drive he's a very nice finisher uh, at the basket yes. uh, with that explosion and getting on top of things but you're right he doesn't really draw fouls yet either you know he's not really looking to take that pick and roll three off the dribble but he now he started taking deep ones by the end of the year so i think just in terms of his offensive creativity his passing is not really amazing yet either like there are a lot of ways that young young players typically improve and he's going to have the ball enough to do that um on the other hand yeah you just wonder about the shooting being and defense shooting regression and then can he get to be competent on defense i guess the one thing you can kind of be feel good about is a lot of the teams that they're potentially going against in the east are not really Really like go after this guy teams other than it, unless they were to face Brooklyn I would say Boston, uh, Boston a little bit too 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. You know, I'm probably forgetting what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did to the likes of like Grayson Allen, who's probably a pretty he's he's probably a, a decent analog for where Tyrese Maxey defends right now. So I'm excited about what Maxey can do, and I think he does maybe give them an out if Harden is not able to get back to the level that he's been at in the past. Um, if but he he'll if Harden can't do that, then Maxey's going to need to be more of a creator than necessarily like a play finisher and attacker wings than he's been yeah that that to me that playmaking is um the key for me over his long-term growth maybe not even this year but certainly as harden ages out of being sort of like that that lead ball handler type uh, you need him to grow as a a, a passer so that you he can use his speed his quickness his ability to get in the paint off the dribble and really create value for other for his teammates um that is a whether or not that shows up this year i'm not even sure it's necessarily a key for the team uh, because of the role he's going to play, but it's very much key for his long-term development. And that's maybe, you know, we can talk about shooting regression. I think he's going to be a good shooter. Um, that might not be low low 40s, but I think he's going to be a good shooter. I think he's going to have a little bit more shot diversity over the years. I think that's one area where I have a lot of confidence in him improving, um, you know, off the pick and roll, deep threes. I think he's going to be able to do that. The one question I have over his long, uh, besides the defense, because I think there's just some physical limitations, it's going to be tough for him to overcome. I think he he gives decent enough effort, needs to get better at going through screens, but gives decent enough effort uh, and moves his feet well, but he's just a small, slight guard. And I think that's always going to be the case. Yeah. My other concern is uh, the, the passing and the instincts and growing, because I do think he is going to get a lot better getting into the paint, um, drawing contact. I think he's going to get better uh, with you know having misdirection moves and not relying on his speed all that much. And if he can combine getting better as a passer along with the natural touch that he has, which is really incredible, then I think he has a, a very high ceiling. Um, but I, that is maybe my biggest question is, can he actually develop into being a, you know, Lillard-esque passer, someone of that ilk? I do have my questions in that regard. But other than that, I agree with you. I think he's got a lot of, um, you know, sc- scratching the surface, so to speak. Uh, I think some of those improvements might take, you might see incremental improvements year over year. Um, you know, I, th- I think I would caution some Sixers fans. They saw the jump he made in year two. Uh, I think yeah. the improvements from here on out become a little bit more, um, you know, minor details and incremental growth. But I think his his upside is huge. Yeah, I mean, I think he could be a better player and have a lot of his stats look worse. Yeah, so like that, shooting that is, is just possible. weird. Shooting is just weird. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, I, I would like to see him be able to be a little better in isolation because if the other team's going to put their best defender on James Harden, that if like most teams don't, that's one of the real strengths of this team is between Tobias Harris, Maxi, Harden, and Embiid, probably at least two of those guys are going to have, uh, you know, unless maybe you're going up against Boston or Miami, and maybe even Miami without Tucker now, they're going to have an individual advantage. And so it'd be nice to be able to see Tyrese Maxi if he's really being guarded by a slower guy on a switch or just as the because they put him on Harden to be able to like put that guy in the mix and really like create a great shot for himself individually um how about Harden uh you know it's (laughs) yeah I mean obviously there was like yet another two for 11 realistically though it's always hard right he's he's with older guys who are dealing with injuries you know I think there's a feeling that he wasn't right he also wasn't in amazing shape he was also kind of tanking the season with Brooklyn then he comes to Philly and it's like holy fuck look at this guy for the first four games yeah and then- no, it, tur- it turns out the playoffs are a little tougher than playing against 
uh, Minnesota and the Knicks twice, which was his first three games. Yeah, uh, he looked dynamic against those teams. But yeah, yeah. And my thought on him was, it's not a surprise that he struggled against Miami, other than when he had that ridiculous shooting. I think that was Game Four when he hit a bunch of like step backs with two on the shot clock. That you know, it's probably even for him is not totally sustainable at this point in his career. So my observation on him is when the other team has to play conventional pick and roll defense against him and Joel, he's going to still be really, really good. And he's an yep. unbelievable player. He's probably, to me, the best pocket passer maybe in NBA history. And he gets the ball to Joel at the free throw line on the move and him, Joel coming downhill or even just with the guy having to recover back to him at that foul line and then Joel can blow by the guy or like get, get him for a pump fake and a foul or something like that is a devastating pick and roll combination. But they're against Boston and maybe Miami, possibly Brooklyn. They're, he's James Harden is not going to necessarily be able to just play against a conventional pick roll defense if they get to the finals of Golden State or the Clippers. So the big question to me is, uh, can he do enough against a switch offensively? Um, so that And can he get enough quickness back to do that? And was it the hamstring? Was it that he was just out of shape? Or is it just, all right, he's old. He can't do it anymore. You know, I guess we just will never know the answer to that question until the season starts. Yeah, and, and the truth is, it's probably some combination of all three. Yeah. Um, and how much of a percentage is each one? I agree with you. When he came, when he first arrived at the Sixers, the pick and roll between him and Bede was, first of all, it developed very quickly. And you just really saw what an elite passer he was and what that kind of playmaker could do for Embiid and how those two could play off of each other. Then after a week or two, you just went, you know, like, well, why don't, why, why aren't people just switching everything? Like outside of, you know, if you have a, a bigger guard who can hold up for Embiid just long enough for a scram, yeah. switch and see whether or not James Harden can beat you off the dribble. And I think it was at one point, uh, you know, late in the season, you know, they were playing the Pistons and you just saw the Pistons do that. You know, they have a bunch of big guards and you saw them switch Isaiah Stewart on James Harden and he got nowhere. And it was like, well, that doesn't necessarily bode, bode all that well for the playoffs. That concerns me a little bit. Like, that's when I really started saying, like, that burst and that lack of burst, this is not the James Harden of a couple of years ago. And I do think the hamstring played a part in that. I think it could even be a significant part of that. But you're also talking about a player who's, what is he, turned 33. Um, a lot of miles on his his his, his legs. A, a couple of lower body injuries on his legs now uh, for a player who, for the first significant chunk of his career, was pretty injury free. Is it even realistic? And a player who doesn't necessarily have the best history of of being in optimal shape. Is it even realistic for him to get back what he had? Is it just is this just a re, uh, the re, new reality of James Harden at this stage of his career? And again, I think he can probably get somewhere. I can, think he can make gains from last year. The question is whether or not those kind of. And I think he'll be a better player this year than he was last year. The question is, is there enough gain there to matter in the conference finals and the finals when you start getting into these teams who can switch, who don't have defenders you can really pick on all that well? Um, I'm slightly optimistic, again, that he will be better than last year and better physically and, and have more bursts than last year. I still sort of need to wait to see whether or not that will be enough to matter at the highest, highest level. Yeah, and it, it, he has these other limitations where if he's not that guy, then all of a sudden it, the defense and having to do a lot of switching and stuff. I mean, they actually, I saw him try to get over a screen for like the first time in about <laughs> seven years playing with him. Yeah. And yeah, that wasn't, wasn't amazing, but it's, I mean, you can't have yeah. Joel switching every screen. Like that's just not going to work either. Uh, certainly no. not throughout the meat of the game, maybe in certain matchups towards the end. Um, well, and that's less yeah. part of the reason why some of the acquisitions they made um, with Melton, with Tucker, with House, you could see a lineup where, you know, either Paul Reed or Tucker are the backup center and you can switch everything and maybe sure. play to a, a, a scheme that more fits Harden's both strengths and desires. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today how about Joel now I, I we know he had the rough playoffs I mean the first three games against Toronto were just like absolute tour de forces I was so impressed by I mean I actually picked yep. Toronto in that series I I was wrong although I do think some of the struggles that Philly had later in that series made me at least acknowledge that I wasn't completely crazy for having picked Toronto um but you know Harden was was really good in that series as well Toronto I thought just could have played a lot smarter than they did but the biggest difference to me was just the way Philly killed them in transition and obviously Maxi is a big part of that but the way Joel ran the floor got deep seals uh it was just an incredible uh level of intensity for him in those first three games like yeah. that was I think the best that he's ever played in the playoffs I mean and then of course he wasn't healthy after that point but we'll assume that he's going to be healthy I mean I know he, he hasn't been in the playoffs that always has to be part of his evaluation even if it's freak injuries half the time with that but is there another level that he can reach this year for a guy who you know again has been well into the MVP conversation to you. Yeah. Well, I think he has a pretty good chance at MVP, assuming health this year, just for the sheer fact they should win a lot of games. And that always factors into uh, these MVP awards. Uh, I expect, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, later on in the podcast, I expect them to win a lot of games this year. Uh, there might be some questions about whether or not they can, um, some of their their go-to sets can work in the playoffs, but I expect them to win a lot of games this year. And I think that'll factor in. And also, I think James Harden can get him more easy shots than he's ever gotten. You know, when you look at some of the guards that he has played with, there hasn't been a whole lot of, you know, pick and roll playmaking to play with. Really, if you wanted to look at the the maybe the most go-to way Joel Embiid could get easy looks was off of a dribble handoff with J.J. Redick. And J.J. Redick, God bless him, wasn't exactly the world's most natural passer either. He just drew a lot of attention on the perimeter. Well, now you have a couple guys who draw attention as well and have a little bit more passing talent. I expect, and I think when he came back, and if you would go back to right when they acquired Harden, a lot of people were like, well, Joel Embiid hasn't ever really been comfortable playing out of a pick and roll. He never really rolls to the basket. He wants to die, uh, pop. Um, can he actually add this to his game? And the numbers between those two were very, very strong, especially in a regular season, especially before all of the injuries happened and Harden, um, Harden's limitations became obvious. So, yeah, I think if James, especially if James Harden can get back to a little bit of what he was and you can get more easy looks from Embiid and he doesn't have to create for himself quite as much and he doesn't have to be quite as reliant. Not that you're ever going to take the post up away from him, but he doesn't have to post up quite as much and be a little more selective on when he attacks. I think he could have better numbers. I think he could end up being back in the MVP conversation. I think this could even be the year that he wins it if he stays healthy and if the Sixers win a lot of games. So, yeah, I think he can certainly make improvements. And again, there's sort of like those incremental improvements that he's made over the last three or four years in his passing in lowering his turnovers. I think he can make a couple more incremental improvements there, but there's also just, you know, a big part of his game has become a, you know, mid range shot. He could have a down year on that mid range shot. 
down years. Again, shooting just happened. You saw that a couple of years ago when he had um, various injuries. Uh, he started off slow last year with his mid-range shot. So there's always that sort of caveat in there as well. But I certainly think he can be a better, more effective version of himself. Probably not redefine himself anymore. It feels like that portion of his career trajectory is gone. But incremental improvements in shot selection, easier shots, fewer turnovers. Uh, yeah, I think that's there. And also, I think he could maybe be a little better of a defender now because he's not having to carry so much of the Sixers offense and has a little more energy expend on that end, too. I want to see what his body looks like when it, when he comes into camp because because I do think for him with some of the firepower that they have on this team now that maybe the greatest value add is going to be on the defensive end because they actually have some other guys who can score like I, he's going to be the main guy obviously on on offense but I wouldn't mind seeing his usage dialed down a little bit on offense so he could be better defensively and you know I do I think there is a big difference if you go back and watch his film from even seventeen but then eighteen and nineteen as compared to now uh, in terms of his defensive activity and mobility i mean i think in the 19 season there was a game where he was switching on to kyrie irving at the end of the game against boston mm -hmm. and stopping him as i think they beat boston in that in that game and so yeah i i'm not sure that he's really capable of doing that certainly not you know it's like a primary strategy unless it's a late switch at the end of the game um so i like that's that's where i would like to see more of from him and i think also again you know he had a broken face the thumb you know made it tough for him to catch the ball really tough for him to pass the ball out of double teams yep. as well that was something that was really difficult for him in the playoffs but like he's he can't be having bam out denying him the ball like that he's just got to be he's bigger than bam out like he's just got to be in better shape get position and or and at least force the defense to come over and deny a lob on the help side and then open something else for you on the weak side or something like that so i i think that's the number one thing is just is he going to be in elite condition because as amazingly skilled as he is the one thing that absolutely no one can deal with is just when he really decides to like use his physicality um, yeah. and so that's that's the thing i'll look at the other thing i that i would point to too is what i was like so impressed by him at the start of 2021 that season because like he was turning and facing the basket and could just shoot right over the top of guys and that was a 50 percent shot for him and that as you mentioned like that dropped off a little bit last year and so i i want to see uh, whether that's something that he can get to again because i do think like you know they're going to need to find a way if the other team is switching to get him the ball and make teams pay for that they could not do that against miami yep no 100 um but yeah i mean it's and i i'm always going to wonder about centers and their lack of defensive versatility and you know, also not being able to get him the ball like in a way that maybe Jokic they're able to do that for him um so that's but yeah he might i'm gonna have to think about it more but he, he might be my pick for mp this year especially because i expect this guy's good in the regular season um so Tobias also Harris i think there could just be some like Jokic fatigue and like you know i yeah. I think voters get fatigue at time at times. Uh, they shouldn't, but I think it is something that plays in. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, so Tobias Harris is still on this team. He is. <laughs> for, he is. for the uh, this is now what his fourth year as a Sixer. Um, yeah. Uh, what they got him in twenty eight. Or no, it was yeah, 2019. 2019. It was a trade deadline of 2019. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, he has outlived a lot of really good Sixers players, which is weird. Yeah, and I think you know the chances of moving him seem relatively low. Uh, but you know maybe it'll be possible at this trade deadline if they want to do that. I, I was part of the reason again that I was so critical of the investiture in him was that he kind of isn't doesn't fit in very easily. He's not a typical player to play around some of your stars and. 
and you know just isn't able to be quite dominating enough as a scorer to where he's yep. going to change what the other team is trying to do defensively uh but yeah and he's still he's got only one year left after this year so maybe it'd be possible to move him but as you noted they are uh limited in terms of the first round picks that they can trade they've got a couple of swaps and then they could do a 29 maybe yep uh depending on some of the protections and you know yep. whether a team would accept that um but we also were like hey you know just trading him for some role players who fit in would be great well now they actually acquired those guys uh in free agency and and with melton so maybe now harris can uh you know especially on the second unit cook a little bit more or get some better matchups and they'll still be good enough defensively so i i'm not sure that statistically he's going to have an amazing year but i actually think because now they have the other guys like because tobias harris had to be like the primary wing defender on this team like he was their primary matchup against jimmy butler right yeah like butler uh pascal yeah yeah so now that he doesn't have to do that i actually think that while he might not put up as many stats because harden is there i think he can actually be more valuable to this team now than he has been yeah and i you know i think going back to the beginning of the offseason you looked at him you said well they almost have to trade him just so they have a little bit they maybe break his contract up into one or two role players maybe have a little more room under the apron so he could use a bigger mid-level um, that was all before we knew that james harden would take that um discount from 47 to 33 million dollars so they ended up not needing it and they get got that flexibility while keeping tobias harris and look i am not biggest tobias harris fan like you said if he is your primary or secondary option on offense you're probably not going to be good enough anyway that is his most suitable role though because when you start putting him in a spot up he's a hesitant spot up shooter he's not a lockdown defender it's a little bit tough to see any you know i think there's a little positional overlap in pj tucker and tobias i think they're probably both best um i think tobias is probably best defending you know sort of like bigger forwards um so you're, it's not maybe the cleanest fit but you know i think first of all i was really impressed with the way he defended last year after the harden acquisition and into the playoffs yeah. uh, he you, stepped you into a role about his willingness to try and no he bought in a hundred percent and he moved his feet way better especially in that toronto series way better defensively than i've almost ever seen him you know i would have real concerns about him being a relied upon perimeter defender i have less concerns now i don't think he's a lockdown guy or anything like that but if he's on the court alongside pj tucker or alongside melton or alongside even thibel in a, a one of those lineups or alongside house i think he can be a second best perimeter defender and i may i don't think i would have said that this time last year so i give him a lot of credit for that development i'd still love to see a little bit more willingness to you know catch and shoot he has a hesitation there especially when he struggles that i think can teams can really tee off of if i had one wish list for tobias it would be to get more comfortable and better at that because after that it's a lot of you know jab step drives pick and rolls and especially the six have added more offensive options there's just other things you'd like to see them go to that being said like when you're talking about secondary units and pairing maybe him alongside of harden when you start talking about times when Embiid or Harden are out, either from injuries or rest, I think he's going to be key in that regard too, in helping you know elevate and, and and not lose games during those scenarios. I I don't have a, a whole lot, and this is weird because I feel like for the last two years I've been talking about how can they get off Tobias Harris' contract. I don't feel a whole lot of urgency right now to get off Tobias Harris' contract because he has become better of a two way player and because they were able to get that depth while staying under um, the apron. So yeah, I think um, you're pretty just comfortable right now keeping Tobias Harris. And if something comes up at the trade deadline, great. If something comes up maybe next year in the offseason when he's an expiring contract, great. But I think he, you're a lot more comfortable with him than you've ever been. 
in part because James Harden did take that pay cut. So I think uh, they can also get him into the post a little bit more now because they're going to have units that have more spacing. Maybe even it'll be a five out on the second you mean unit. Because Ben's man, Ben's man is in the park yeah. right there. Yeah, and I think you know they're going to. He's the fourth concern. He's the fourth guy on the scouting report now, so he's going to be guarded by someone like either you're going to have to put someone small on Maxi or Harden who can't switch onto Embiid in a pick and roll, or you're going to have to put someone small on Tobias Harris so for most teams particularly in the regular season i think harris uh can match it particularly again in the regular season like yeah go ahead and let him go just post up the same guy five times in a row until the defense adjusts i also think as we yep. get into this rotation here you don't actually have close twice here if you don't no you don't nope uh, you can you can play that matchup and just the overall spacing of the team i think will will benefit him a lot uh, you brought up a well, I, I interjected with ben simmons but you also had you like you relied on matisse liable to play a meaningful role because you didn't have any other real perimeter defenders now if it's a matchup where Matisse doesn't make sense. You don't have to play Matisse Leibel because you have PJ Tucker, because you have DeAnthony Melton, because you have Daniel House. So you can have it where there are no, like this has never happened. I don't think in the time I've been covering the Sixers and I'm not new to this industry. <laughs> There's never been a, a time where the Sixers have had five players who could actually credibly, maybe not lights out, but credibly shoot the basketball. And by that, I mean like not even just people who weren't good at shooting, but people who just flat out wouldn't shoot. They've always had one of those players on the court. Yeah. And this is maybe the first year where that won't be the case. And I think that will benefit, like you said with Tobias, it's easier to post him up. It's easier to run a pick and roll. It's easier for him to isolate because Tobias isn't necessarily a guy who has counter moves in his arsenal. He's a, a straight line drive kind of guy. Pretty quick for his size when he gets going, but he's, he doesn't have that many counters. I think having a little more space will help him. No, I, I agree with that. And then, you know, as, as we get into this rotation, you've got the starting five. I think that's clearly going to be Maxi, Harden, Harris, Tucker, and Bede. You would think House and Melton, and then whoever the backup center is, that's probably yep. your top eight. Let's talk quickly about that epic backup center battle. <laughs> Uh, look, if Sixers Twitter, that is an epic backup center battle. Um, well, I think Paul Reed's going to get it. You know, I think the fact that Doc turned to Paul Reed there in the playoffs, uh, you know, I think that says and, something. And he didn't kill them amazingly in the playoffs. For the no, he, he especially especially in the Toronto series, he held his own. And I think he struggled a little bit when he was asked to play a larger role there in the first two games of the Heat series yeah. when Embiid was out. But I think with Paul Reed, the big question with him was always, all right, he can put up stats in the G League, in Summer League, in college with his just sheer effort and energy level. But can he do that while playing a role? Can he not make mistakes? Can he he fill the role that Doc wants him to so Doc will have the confidence to put him in there? And I think he did that way better than I think even I would have expected. Certainly, I think better than Doc would have expected coming into that series. So another year, I think he will come, certainly come into camp as the backup center, the primary backup center. It'll be a little bit small, but it'll be a lot more mobile than we're used to. I mean, the last two years, we've had, uh, you know, Dwight Howard and Andre Drummond and, you know, just a lot of and DeAndre Jordan, uh, just a lot of really immobile centers. It would be nice to have a different look. It's the least proven of those backup centers that Joel Embiid has had in a long time. But I think they, if you're talking about two unproven players, I think they have, um, you know, two pretty, pretty different archetypes to play with. So if one's not playing well, it'll be interesting. It'll be real interesting between him and Charles Bassey. But I do expect Paul Reed to, uh, to be the backup from day one. Yeah, and maybe you'd say Bassey is a little bit better of a traditional rim protector if they want to play a drop coverage, but you're probably, yep. if Joel's, and this is actually probably something we should get into of just like what the combinations are going to be with the starters and the bench group. Do you stagger Harden and Joel or not? Like they kind of went away from that a little bit last year because the Harden on their own unit weren't really working that well at times. Yeah. Um. So that's, 
something to think about like if it's Harden and no Joel then you either you'd like to either play five out and switch or you know Reed is certainly better at switching he's not amazing but he's probably better at it than Bass he could probably hold up as a switch guy against second units yeah. or maybe you want to play pick and roll where you might say Bassie's like a better alley-oop guy and uh pick and roll player I don't know maybe you disagree with that and I don't think either of them are like no I, I agree roll. I agree um so maybe that's what you want to do if it's Harden in there so, so I think there there's there will be times maybe when it's Bassie and Reed and there'll be injuries of course and everyone will will get their chance but I guess let, let's just talk about that of like what do you think the combinations are they've got these top four guys who can all score and what are some of the combinations that would fit around those guys with some of the deep bench guys like a Thibel or or a Niang uh, as they get into their bench unit yeah I mean I think if it were me um I would start off staggering and beating Harden and, and building real groups that complement each of them whether Doc will do that I don't know um I didn't think Doc would play DeAndre Jordan but there we were um you know it was I think it makes most sense to split um you know basically to lock I would say you know I would lock Tyrese Maxey to Embiid and put him on that stagger probably with with Niang as well and then I would lock Harden and Tobias on that group and try to find a more switchable uh unit of of players alongside those two and that might be Paul Reed at center that might even be sometimes PJ Tucker at a really small ball center but get as many of those sort of like two way um you know two way wings who can catch and shoot and spread the floor and let James Harden play a little bit more like he used to back in his Houston days um so i think those would be certainly i would i would split up Embiid and Harden um like i said i would tie Maxi to Embiid just because you want to avoid the the Harden Maxi lineup you want more switchable lineup there in that second unit uh and go from there yeah that that makes sense i i think uh and Maxi is one where i don't know that he like has to play on the Embiid unit or the Harden unit necessarily and i guess it'll it'll depend who's available right if you're good you kind of want to play Niang with Harden on that backup unit to get more shooting but then maybe you're going to be hard pressed to switch as well so they, they are going to yeah. run into during the regular season a little bit of this all right we still got to play thigh but we still got to play Niang and and you know, these centers are kind of not that versatile as well but I think when you get into the playoffs hopefully you can just focus on that top seven maybe they could get another buyout guy or something like that too um any yeah. of the other yep. like deep bench guys that you think are even interesting or that like you want to talk about or should we just move on to the next topic i mean i, w- I would like i would like to see what shake milton does yeah uh, you know he is a guy who had a lot of success here two years ago when he really first started getting into rotation uh, really struggled at various points last year i think if you're looking at any of the bench players left he's the most complete of that group um outside of the top three or four but he has to make shots and last year he just didn't make shots i'd like to see now that he's in much more of an off-ball role more consistently that he's healthy if he can come out and make a, little, a couple of shots here um can he be a legitimate like can he work his way into being a consistent ninth man uh, because i think that would really benefit the sixers especially in the regular season i think he's probably most interesting um and then there's Furkan just because he might do some wild stuff and that's entertaining and i love that yeah and they need someone who can make shots uh, on this team like yeah. they or, or or i'm sorry i should i should rephrase that basically everyone other than thibel can make shots but right. it would be nice if they could have guys in there they don't really have anyone off the ball where you're like oh like we can't leave this guy it would be nice if they had that and granted usually those guys can't defend well enough and that's when 
probably i think a bigger problem because they have a ton of offense firepower on this group now but yeah if cork Maz or joe or queen could come in and just be a, a guy who can light up for hit three threes every once in a while at the start of the second quarter you know they don't necessarily have that guy right now i was excited about queen i thought that he could be better than cork Maz and joe i really liked what he did in the g league and in some brief cameos with houston i thought he had good defensive effort he's athletic hit shots but man his summer sucked it was so yeah. bad uh so maybe i'm a little down on that now but i i'm hopeful that he could he has more two-way potential in theory than joe or cork Maz, but he's gonna obviously the ball's gonna have to go in for him and he's probably gonna have to get into a little bit more of a role player talent yeah i'm, I'm not sure summer league is necessarily a, a good spot for queen uh you know i think they try to put him in a, a ball handling role that he's not really comfortable with right. um especially when you start ramping up the level of competition uh his, some of his his pick and roll play his his instincts his passing were just not there and i think that made him look pretty bad uh, he had a, a good year in the g league i'm not going to pretend that i watched all that many of those games <laughs> but he certainly showed some two-way potential i agree with you there um, but we'll see whether he you know they, they still have 16 uh contracts and they're gonna have to trim one down uh, we'll see whether or not he shows enough to uh, to earn that. I, you assume because they gave him a three hundred thousand dollar guarantee that he will be in there. Uh, but you know, they're going to have to end up cutting if a trade doesn't happen. End up cutting someone probably between him and Joe or someone of that ilk. Uh, and I think there will be a real battle for that. So I guess I guess that's something to watch. I'm not sure there's very many people truly looking out for that. But I agree with you. They need. It'd be great to have one player in the rotation who's just comfortable launching 12 threes per 100 possessions, something in that range. None of the Sixers core players are really, they're all capable shooters, but they're not really high volume shooters. And it'd be great to have somebody with that gravity. You know, I think whether or not that comes down to Korkmaz having a bounce back year, and maybe that doesn't matter in the playoffs, but it could help in a regular season. Or someone like Isaiah Joe taking a step. And Joe is certainly capable and comfortable shooting a lot of threes. It's can he really do anything else? Or or Queen, who they signed. It would be great for one of those three players to be worthy of having consistent, not, you know, a ton of minutes, but consistent regular minutes to uh, to give them that threat. I agree. Yeah. Jaden Springer, maybe another guy who, in theory, should be vulnerable because he hasn't shown much yet. I know you guys talked about him pretty extensively. All these guys that yeah. after Summer League got... I agree. I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily think they will um, just because teams don't like to admit uh, defeat on a first round pick after two years. Uh, but he, if I was running the team, it would certainly be in the running because he didn't talk about having a, a bad summer league. Um, he did not show a whole lot. Yeah. Now, and maybe you would see him just get his third year option declined on the idea that he's probably not going to play that much this year and you could always re-sign him uh, if he right. if he does show something. Because, But that's, I mean, that's part of why you would think like, hey, you might as well just move on from him because you don't want to have guaranteed money for next year. I mean, if they did move on from him, I would expect throughout the season because they're pretty close to the hard cap that they will give up assets just to move guys off the books as well and maybe that that might be a reason why they wouldn't want to move on springer now they might want to just do that at the trade deadline and then one of the non one of the non-guaranteed guys is a a more like casualty so let's uh i mean the crunch time lineup i guess the only thing to me is like whether harris might not be in it um you know maybe tucker wouldn't be if he's not shooting the ball well or you just don't have a specific matchup for him that night or you that someone who's a little quicker you might go with house or uh or with melton if those guys are hot so I, i think it could be fluid there but most of the time I, doc rivers also really seems to like tobias harris a lot so i would be surprised he does it, like it, it wouldn't happen until they got down in a playoff series i don't think for for that yeah i mean i think most nights it's going to be harden maxine and bead are three definites you might if you need like a one possession stop certainly you would then consider taking out those two guards uh, who could be picked on but in terms of you know ending down the stretch those three are pretty well locked in 
it'll come down to Tucker and Harris. Um, and I think most nights it'll probably be those two as a closing unit, unless you just have maybe one team that has too many perimeter options and you need a better perimeter defender out there. If Tucker is maybe not making shots or if Tobias is having one of those um, stretches of the season where he is struggling from the perimeter and then second guessing himself and hesitating, then maybe you could see some changes. But I think most nights it will be uh, it, it, it will be those five. I think it'll be their starting five. Any other big strengths for this group we haven't talked about yet? It's a good question. Uh, Rich they and I on, be on, on, on the glass here, right? They should. They were disappointingly bad on the glass. One of the, was it two worst defensive rebounding teams in the league? Certainly uh, one of the worst. They were actually 17th in the end. Oh, no, it was offensive rebounding that they yeah, were. offensive rebounding, the yeah, they were 29th. Yeah. That's, that, that's one, again, where, I mean, they could probably get a little bit better there. I don't think they'll be, like, dominating on the offensive glass. But I think, like, Tucker, he'll get in for some clutch offensive rebounds. Um, you know, I think just, like, I don't know if it's going to be a strength, but certainly they've just improved the overall toughness of this team. That was a big theme. Yeah, and... You know, toughness that might show up a little bit on glass. I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be like a dominant, especially offensively. Uh, I think part of that is by design. Uh, they were a real bad transition team last year, which usually when you give up on offensive rebounds, you're usually better at transition defense than they were. Um, but I think that's a point of emphasis for them. But yeah, hopefully they could, you know, maybe increase to at least slightly above average defensively. That would be great. And I think players like Tucker, but even some guards, you know, a lot of their guards last year were just non-factors on the glass. So you replace maybe Nang's role with Tucker. Uh, you replace, I mean, Seth Curry was was on the team for a long time. You replace him with maybe someone like DeAnthony Melton. I yep. think they will get better on the defensive glass for sure. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I think their uh, their overall help defense is a lot better too. I think Tucker is a good help defender. Uh, Melton is actually one of the best help defenders in the league, I would say, as a, a playmaking guard, as, as a steals and even a blocks guy uh, around the rim. Uh, he, he gets rebounds too. Tucker is much better at boxing out. Like I expect them to be uh, markedly improved on the defensive glass. Actually, I think they should be pretty good there. Uh, in contrast to a year ago, and, and they'll just have more overall size and athleticism. I mean. Obviously, getting to the foul line is a mass, massive strength, guys. I mean, they they yeah. could they could have like the highest free throw rate in like the last five years of any. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that'll be. It, we'll just see what kind of where Harden is as a foul drawer. But he was actually pretty good uh, in yep. Philly when he came over. But that's also one of the reasons that you kind of wonder about these guys' playoffs. Uh, as like you just don't want to be as reliant on foul drawing. It seems like teams can lock in on some of the tricks a little bit more easily as as the series goes on. Um, any weakness? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just uh, agreeing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say uh, weaknesses we should be concerned. We talked about the lack of like that one premium shooter. Anything else yeah. that pops out to you? And, and we can even focus more kind of on the playoffs now here. So I, I want to talk about some of that and how they match up in our 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think here. where my head sort of goes, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind it. They had one more like real good ball handler and decision maker. Um, you know, there's just a couple of guys who you look at and you say they can maybe attack a closeout, but once they get in that decision-making phase, it can be drawn into some bad shots. Um, so you'd like somebody outside of the Embiid maxi duo to, to really be capable of creating offense. Uh, I think that's one spot, you know, and then it's just a little bit of size on the perimeter. Um, the Harden maxi combo and Melton, who's, I, you know, I think he plays up defensively pretty well, but he is still just six, three. Uh, so I think maybe a little bit more size on the perimeter. But other than that, I think this is a pretty well team. I think it'll come down pretty well-rounded team. I think it'll come down to whether or not James Harden can be some approximation of James Harden in the playoffs. I think that's really what's driving their championship equity. Yeah, I think that's fair. Unless Maxi just blows up completely yeah. as well. Um, the other weakness I'd point to, and, and we can kind of get into how they match up against some of these these East teams, is the defensive 
versatility in the playoffs and that's that really some of that's hardened but it's even more so Embiid and again you're like well Joe Embiid was was a defensive player of the year candidate he can still be one of the best at, at his best but you know I mean that they're still like this is never going to be a team that's going to be able to switch they almost yeah. never are even going to do something where they're putting two on the ball in pick and roll uh which I, I'm not a huge fan of that coverage but it's nice to be able to do that sometimes as a change up like they're either going to be Joel up to the level like that's about as much as they're going to do and maybe him switching late clock after a guy gets penetration and gnashes under the basket and just keeps him engaged on him so he can't get back to his man and he's very good as a, as a drop guy he's still one of the best intimidators at the rim but you know if Jason Tatum or Kevin Durant wants to come off a screen on the ball for three at the top of the key like how are they going to handle that you know that's a big yeah. big question to me in the in the postseason no it's a uh, it's fair you know I do think Joel Embiid is a little more capable um especially in the playoffs of coming up to the level and at least giving a little bit of pressure um on those screens but it's certainly you're not going to like you said completely switch i do think having more uh capable defenders on a perimeter should help um i think they can be a little bit more creative in their 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 doubles and whatnot um but you are you know Embiid's impact which regular season he's one of the five the 10 best defensive players in the league most impactful defensive players in the league it does get tougher for big men in playoffs i think you've seen with the jazz and the sixers they both went a little too offensively focused over the last couple of years and i think put Embiid and gobert on an island a little too much i think this version of the sixers both because they have more offensive firepower so they're not relying on joel as much and also because they have better uh, more well-rounded defenders around him uh, i think they should be better defensively in the playoffs than they have been uh, but it's yeah i mean they're not the most versatile defense squad in the in the, the league for sure uh, and they're also you know you just it gets tougher to play that drop coverage in the playoffs there's no doubt about it yeah now at least they'll have more guys who can close out to shooters with some athleticism or make plays if joel is out on the floor a, a little bit maybe they will even feel slightly more comfortable switching joel or even out. just not yeah. get picked on like i remember yeah. two years ago against the hawks seth curry just got completely destroyed and you're talking yeah. about kevin herter here you're not talking about jason tatum Right. They have less players like that that you can just mismatch on. No, I, I totally, yeah, you're just not, it's not like, oh, Kevin Herter takes two dribbles and rises up from the dotted line for a Yeah, and it's not even like they were putting, shot. right, it's not even like they had to put Joel Embiid in ball screens to get that matchup either. It just, yeah. that's what the Sixers were conceding. Yeah. yeah, and you know, the other thing that I think a lot of teams will get to is a, essentially like the equivalent of like a 1-4-5 pick and roll with Harden, where you first you screen with Harden's man to get him on the ball, and then you run a pick and roll with Joel's man, and you know Harden's not going to get over green so yeah i mean it's it's never going to be perfect with this personnel but i think the hope is that they can do enough protecting the rim and then that this offense is just going to be unbelievable uh we, we'll get at predictions in a second here i asked frank madden this question when we talked about the bucks last week i want to ask it to you as well with the sixers of we don't necessarily have to predict what will happen in these series but are there any of let's say miami guess we'll put brooklyn in this category milwaukee and boston that you think they match up especially well or poorly. I would love to see a matchup against the Bucks. I think that's probably the one where I could see it. it I could see the Sixers matching up better than expected yeah. because I, I do I think, think Joel Embiid above their weight in that matchup. I agree with you. Yeah, but it's also the Bucks. I think that's just a an, obviously an incredible team. Yeah, you know, I think the team that they probably str might struggle with the most to use your analogy, they're punching down might be the Celtics. The Celtics have always defended Joel Embiid very well. Uh, they have players who can pick on the Sixers' smaller backcourt, and there's just I think they're probably the best team in the Eastern Conference so far this year. Um, they have a lot of depth and versatility, and I think that's probably one team where Sixers would struggle with maybe the most. Uh, and then I think the you know the the Heat 
I think the Sixers, when you factor in, you know, Lowry taking a step back, Butler not being super young, not that the Sixers and James Harden are super young either. Uh, and then a loss of Tucker and, and some of their depth. I think the Sixers have a decent, I think the Sixers match up pretty well against them as well. To me, it's really the Bucks that I, I or the uh, Celtics that I question the most. And also I, I question the Bucks a lot too, but just because of their sheer talent level, I do think the Sixers can match up when you compare them with other teams pretty well against the Bucks. Yeah. And I've, I've said, this I'd before. love it though. I'd love to see how much Joel Embiid can just dial it up defensively and oh, whether or not he can defend Giannis for a little bit um, yeah. because Giannis has struggled with him at times in the regular season and just the size and being able to cut him off. I'd love to see the chess match of that over a seven game series. Well, and I think the Sixers, I, I've said this before, so I won't belabor the point, but I think the Bucks can't play Giannis at center against Philly because he can't guard Joel. And so, and then you also, if you want, you can put, so that means they're going to have to have Brooke Lopez on the floor or Bobby Portis. Brooke Lopez, actually, he can't really guard Joel either. Like they're going to, they're going to have to double team and the Bucks defensive principles are not really built for that. Yep. And then, you know, they, they don't, the Bucks aren't like a great pick and roll team. So they're no, not, they're not going to switch like the Celtics either. Yep. Right. Right. And you can't like take advantage of the Sixers inability to switch. And I think Tucker can also be like the primary guy in Giannis. And then maybe in crunch time, you go with them beat it. If Giannis is really going crazy. So I, I'm, uh, I think this, I might actually pick the Sixers to win that. Uh, you know, as of right now, I think, you know, both teams look different. And then the Nets, I like, I can't even go there right now, especially <laughs> because of like the Simmons coming back to Philly component as well. And like the Nets well, have absolutely. Here's my question to you. Yeah. Do you buy this whole like, you know, Durant and the Nets are moving on and 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 you know reaffirming their commitment to it. Like, do you, do you think this is gonna? Do you expect him to be on the 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 Nets after the trade deadline? I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I they're mean, crazy I, team. I they're would say <laughs> I buy it that there is an uneasy detente for right now. Sure, it just to me been, sounds like yeah. there is like maybe the Nets have convinced him. Look, it's just not possible right now. Play the good soldier. Let's get to the trade deadline. We'll reevaluate. Both of us can reevaluate whether you want to leave and what we can get for him. But are they like completely happy with each other? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. It seems rather unlikely. I mean, it seems like Kyrie is at least going to be there. And like what maybe started this whole thing was the thought that Kyrie wasn't going to be there. Right. Um, right. You know, we didn't hear anything about this from Katie until the Kyrie not getting an extension thing came out. So and Kyrie now seems to be really playing the good soldier. I don't know whether he's capable of doing that for that long, but I think he kind of seems to understand that. No, there isn't a market for your services unreliable as you've been. But <laughs> I, I mean, the bigger thing to me about this matchup is if the Nets are whole of like, is Simmons going to be healthy? Like, is he... Yeah is he gonna like play center like who the hell guards and beat on this team but then uh i mean we saw how the nets just destroyed philly when they actually wanted to play last year uh, and that was even without yeah. Simmons. so i just i have no idea how how that would go but yeah Kyrie and kevin durant might cause a few problems for philly but they, they've they're better much better equipped to guard those guys than they've been in the yep. past let's get to predictions yeah, here yeah we got like three all right let's left. do it uh so a year ago okay. i was <laughs> no no you can't bring receipts Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, actually, we were not too bad. I don't think last year. I was at 48 wins last year, and you were at 50. So that's actually pretty. All right. Good. What would they end up? What I feel like I should know that. Up? 51. Yeah, we shouldn't know that. But that's relevant. Well, I cover the team. I probably for, uh, should. I probably should know that. Yeah. For for a Sixers, um, oh, uh, the regular season. I mean, it could tell you what seed they were. Yeah, they're 51 and 31, fourth last. Okay. Year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, we, we we're pretty close, and I think you know both of us assumed that they would get something for Simmons, and that was part yeah. of our part of that being baked in. And I remember last year, it's such a weird feeling to not have to wait until like the day before the season to do this preview with you because we actually like have an idea of who's going to be on this team. Um, yeah. So yep. 
I mean, obviously, Joel's health is is a question mark, but he's made it through you know, enough games these last two years to be in the MVP consideration. You know, I think he'll I'll price him in to miss his 15, 20 games, but that's everyone's days. Uh, and I think they have pretty decent depth. Doc does well coaching undermanned groups in the regular season, too. So, you know, these guys might be my pick for the two seat. I think they probably will be. I'm going to go, but I never want to pick too many wins for any of these teams in the regular season. I'm going to pick these guys for 54 wins. Yeah. I was going to say 55 and 27. Yeah. No, I expect them to be a very, very uh, health considered, obviously. I expect them to be a very, very good regular season team. Very good. And I think they are a, a, actually a legitimate threat to get out of the East this year, which I have not thought about them. The, I guess I felt at the end of the the start of the 1920s thought that, but then, you know, that did not be uploaded. Uh, but I, I I would probably still put them to lose in the second round because I'm just not a hardened believer and that it ultimately comes down to that. But I think they absolutely could make it out of the East. And this is, you know, at the start of the season, this is the best Joel that Joel has had around. I know that's been a, a big talking point for you guys. Yeah. No, I think it is best team Joel and be decided. I will say that they get out of the second round. Uh, I will say that they uh, uh, losing to a specific team doesn't matter, but I expect them to make a conference finals. If they don't, I think there's going to be a lot of angry Sixers fans and maybe some angry players. Uh, I think they, I think they should make it this year. I do. Yeah. And we haven't, uh... best re- I mean, the best realistic case is winning the East. I, I think I'd be a little surprised if they could win it all. I'd be a little surprised that they got out of the East. Uh, like I said, that wouldn't be my prediction, but I certainly think they have the upside to do so if enough things break right. Yeah. I don't love their matchup against the Clippers or Golden State if that, if that's what it ends up being uh, out of the West necessarily. But I, I mean, getting to the finals will be, would, would be a really nice, even making the conference finals would be a really nice accomplishment for these guys. Uh, sadly, we had, didn't get much of a chance to talk about Doc Riffers. You know, that's another, another interesting thing. Although I thought he actually coached a decent first round series last year against Nick Nurse, maybe not as much. And he was better in the second round than he was against the hawks two years ago <laughs> uh okay where can everyone keep up with uh with your stuff uh, before, uh, uh since we're at risk of uh really going down memory lane in a yeah. fashion. um a twitter at Derek bodner nba uh and then writing daily com. all right man and uh also that sixers beat podcast is awesome yeah. listen to every episode yep. of that you guys are like twice a week during the regular season right yep twice a week regular season once a week in the off season yep. awesome Mostly. all right we, we really appreciate having you on again and uh we'll be back next week with more of the season outlook we'll talk to you all then my pleasure thanks again to derek for coming on and We'd love to encourage you to subscribe to Dunked on Prime. We've been going strong here. I actually had five episodes last week. And of course, we will do that every week during the NBA season. We're going to do outlooks with a local expert on all 30 teams. We got about 10 of those in the books so far and really encourage you to check it out and subscribe. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.